Welcome to the Social Dallas Podcast. Today you'll hear an uplifting message from our pastor, Robert Madu. Our hope is that your relationship with God would flourish like never before. This is a standalone message that I know is going to bless you. I'm not going to be before you long, but go to Mark chapter 8 today. Mark chapter 8. I want to look at verses 14 through 21. The Gospel of Mark chapter 8. I'll start at verse 14 and land at verse 21. And I know you, you might be tired, but you chose to wear those uncomfortable shoes. Would you, would you stand uh, real quick just to honor the reading of God's word, then you can sit out. <laughs> Mark chapter 8, starting at verse number 14. And y'all, this is our last Sunday for the year here at Gillies. So if you want to get your shout on, this is, this is the day. <laughs> when you're ready to read it, say, yeah. yeah. If you need some time to find Mark chapter 8, say, hold on. All right, I was going to say right after Matthew. And it says, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. And they discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, how many know Jesus knows what you're talking about? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? Oh, this is annoyed, Jesus. And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they reply. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? I am so intrigued with a lot of things in this text, but after he asks all these rhetorical questions, he says, and don't you remember? Don't you remember? I want to preach not long, but using this as a title, quick to forget. Quick to forget. Look at your neighbor, whichever one you like the best. and Just say, neighbor, it's a horrible thing. In fact, let's use the SAT word. Say, neighbor, neighbor. It, is a it is a travesty when you are quick to forgive. Look at your other neighbor. Say, other neighbor. You're my second option. But I'm letting you know <laughs> it's messed up when you are quick to forgive. Ooh, I'm going to pray and have you sit down. But ooh, I, I don't want to be quick to forgive. I will never forget standing right here on this stage right before we were about to have our first service here. We had just come from the Hi-Fi Now, the Echo Lounge, and this room didn't have any chairs in here. It looked massive. And I remember standing here looking out of the space going, oh, Lord, is anybody going to show up? I said, Lord, I hope we haven't bit off more than we can chew. I said, what if this place is too big? And right when I said it in my spirit, I heard the Lord say, what if it's too small? And who would have thought then that we would be having service at Toyota Music Theater? I don't want to be quick to forget. Oh, let's pray. Then you can sit down. I know you're tired. It's going to be a long prayer, but bear with me. God, you're awesome. Speak today. Amen. You can be seated. Quick to forget. Social fam, do you feel that? You feel that? I'm not talking about the air conditioning or even the presence of God. I mean, right now, do you feel any sensation of motion? 
Whether you feel it or not, I need you to understand that you are sitting on a planet that is spinning around its axis at approximately 1,000 miles per hour. Planet Earth will make one full rotation in the next 24 hours. Not only that, you are currently hurling through space at approximately 67,000 miles per hour. Before today is done, you will have traveled 1.3 million miles in your annual trek around the sun. And here you are talking about, I wasn't trying to do anything today. My question for you is, when was the last time that you thanked God for keeping us in orbit? I'm willing to bet anything that you have never in your entire life gotten on your knees and said, oh, Father, I thank you today for just keeping me in orbit. God, I had fear and trepidation that we wouldn't make our way around its axis. But God, I just want to thank you for keeping us in orbit. You have never prayed that prayer in your life. And if you tell me you have, you lying and don't lie in church. The reality is we never praise God for keeping us in orbit because it is a constant. It's something that is consistent. And what I've learned about things that are constant is that they are taken for granted. Isn't it intriguing that the thing that is consistent, the thing that is faithful, tends to be the thing that we always take for granted. We are quick to forget the beauty of consistency. Can you imagine if God was as fickle as some of y'all <laughs> and just occasionally gave you oxygen? You just <laughs> He's like, my bad, I was asleep. Go ahead, go ahead, breathe, breathe. Can you imagine? What, 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 what if he just didn't, didn't want the sun to come up one day? Isn't it crazy how whatever is constant is taken for granted? How many of you like that seat you're sitting in right now? You like that seat? Feel good, huh? You like this screen, all these lights? Do you realize that since we have been in Gillies and in every single venue that we have stepped our feet in, there has been a serve team that gets up, some of them four o'clock in the morning, that come on every single venue, five o'clock, putting every single one of these chairs out. All you did to praise God today was sit down. They were setting up every seat. Consistent, constant. I'm looking at Jake right now, who's been faithfully serving on the in and out team. How long, Jake? Year and a half. Driving a massive truck that has all our stuff. If Jake decides to take that truck to Vegas one weekend, <laughs> here I'll be on the stage. That's how you would hear me preaching. But isn't it crazy? The beauty of consistency. Those that are constant are taken for granted. I want to pause right now today and thank God for the faithful people. Thank God for the people that keep showing up. Oh, you deserve to be celebrated. Because it's interesting, sometimes if you're truly honest and you're one of the faithful ones, you don't realize that the reward you get for your faithfulness sometimes is to be taken for granted. And people don't realize it. And you're not one of the ones that will back out because when you give your word, it's your word. When you say you show up, you're going to show up and you're going to be there and you're going to be on time. And sometimes when you're doing it, you love it and you know it's a call, but then you're also frustrated just a little bit sometimes on the inside because some of you want to say, come on, do y'all understand the sacrifice it takes me to do this? And you would never back out because you know some people that are fickle that way. And you show up, but deep down inside, sometimes you're like, oh, I'm frustrated because I'm being taken for granted. It feels like because I'm so consistent. How many know God is the one who's taken for granted the most because of his consistency? Because he is always constant. And sometimes I wonder, does it get frustrated? Well, in my text today, we get a sneak peek into the life of Jesus, and I love it because Jesus is frustrated. I love frustrated Jesus. I love annoyed Jesus. Some of y'all think that Jesus just walked on the earth and he just smiled all the time and just waved at everybody. No, this text is proof positive that sometimes Jesus got annoyed. He is annoyed in this text. He's a little bit annoyed, first of all, because the pressure is on. 
He is coming to the end of his assignment. The cross is imminent. And the closer you get to your destiny, how many know you will feel the pressure? The closer you get to your destiny, the closer you get to your purpose, you realize you don't have time to waste. You don't have time to play games. He is getting closer to his purpose and his destiny, and he is feeling the heat. He is annoyed by these 12 dudes. One of them is a hater that he is about to commission to finish what he started and they still are clueless to his purpose. Later on in this text, he will ask them this question, who do men say that I am? And all of them, like some kids in the classroom that know the answer, be like, oh, pick me, pick me, pick me. I know, I know, I know, I know. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're Jeremiah. They had all kinds of answers for that. Then he says, well, who do you say that I am. He wasn't just talking to one of them. In the Greek, it's all of them. If he was in Texas, he'd say, who do y'all say that I am? And they were like, well, and finally, Peter, the one who always going to say something no matter what, said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And even the father had to reveal that to him. He didn't know it. Isn't it crazy? You could spend that much time with Jesus and still have no clue who he was. And Jesus is annoyed because he's getting closer to his destiny. In this text, he's annoyed because he's just had an encounter with the Pharisees. This is after he has multiplied fish and bread, and the Pharisees have the nerve and the audacity to come to him after he has just multiplied fish and bread for 4,000 people. They probably got fish and bread crumbs in their beards, and they come up to Jesus and say, give us a sign that you're sent from God. And Jesus is looking at them like, are you serious? No, I refuse to give you a sign because you've seen multiple signs. Matter of fact, you still got some of the sign in your beard right now from the fish and bread that I just multiplied. And he refuses to give them a sign because you cannot waste energy trying to get somebody to believe something when they are committed to not believing it. Oh, let me just pause right there and help somebody who is wasting your time and energy trying to get validation from somebody that is committed to not giving it to you. Sometimes you just got to walk away, fix your eyes on Jesus, and know who you are in Christ, and stop waiting for a trophy and a hand clap from somebody that's not going to give it. They're never going to encourage you. Some people will never see your value. Some people will never see your worth. Some people are never going to write it on your page, but do you need their value? validation to step into the effulgence of who you are if God be for you who who can be against you cut the comment section off and get in the presence of God and know who you are and whose you are but Jesus he's a little annoyed and he gets on the boat this is insight into his private staff meeting and as he gets on the boat with his team he hears them arguing that they only have one loaf of bread and as they're arguing about having one loaf of bread, he looks at them in classic Jesus form and goes, watch out. They're like, what, is a storm coming? No, watch out. Be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. This makes me laugh. Because you got to put yourself in the boat with Jesus and the disciples and realize that it's just you and Jesus on the boat with a loaf of bread. And here he talking about the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod and you're the only one in the boat with Jesus. See, this is what makes me laugh, especially about people today. They're like, oh, it would have been so beautiful to walk with the physical Jesus. I would have loved to have been there. No, you wouldn't. I promise you, you would have been frustrated and you would have been annoyed. We are still trying to contemplate and dissect the profundity of what he said over 2,000 years ago. You think you would have understood it in the moment? No, you would have been confused just like the disciples talking about, yeah, yeah, the yeast of the Pharisees and Herod, yeah, and we the only ones on the boat. Jesus did this stuff all the time. One of these days, I'm going to do a whole series on these messed up sayings of Jesus that just left people perplexed. I'm just going to talk about them every week to week. I'm going to do that one day. Make a note. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. Because he did it all the time. You know why? He had to do it. He had to do it because he was fully God and fully man. 100% divinity, 100% humanity in one body. And when you are fully God and fully man, and you are talking to people that are just fully human, how many of you know the conversation will get confusing sometimes? Because sometimes the God in you is speaking on a different level, and he just leaves them there confused to figure it out. <laughs> Remember John chapter 12? Remember John chapter 12? I think it's like verse 24. Andrew and Philip roll up on Jesus because some Greeks, some Greeks want to say hello to him. Some Greeks want to know if they can say hi to Jesus. They're like, bet, let me go talk to him. Uh, Jesus, these Greeks 
want to say what's up to you. Jesus' response to the disciples were, very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat fall to the ground and die, it will produce more. But if it dies, it produces a greater seed. Now, is that a yes or no? Because they want to know if they can. He did this stuff all the time. It's like, what are you talking about, Jesus? Can you break it down just a little bit? One dude was like, Jesus, I love you. I'm going to follow you. But just let me go bury somebody real quick. Let the dead bury the dead. Is that on Netflix? Because I just, I, I'm trying to go to the funeral. And I don't understand what you're talking about. My favorite one, John chapter 2, this is the first time he reveals his glory. His mama, his mama, this show you how gangster he was. His mama says, sweetheart, they have run out of wine at this wedding. They have run out of wine at this wedding. What is Jesus' response to his mama? Woman. So I know he didn't have no black mama, because <laughs> let me tell you something. You hit a black mama with a woman, I bet you will not say another word after that. He said, woman, what's that got to do with me? It's not my time. Excuse me? Mary already knew because she raised him and said, look, just do whatever he tells you to do, okay? <laughs> what, what, what are you talking about? It's not your time. She, she, she said they've run out of wine, wine. Why are you talking about time, time? She said they've run out of wine. What in the world does wine have to do with time? He's fully God and he's fully man. And of course he knew they were talking about wine, but he also knew on a deeper level that the reason they ran out of wine was because that groom at that wedding was insufficient. It was the groom's responsibility to make sure there was enough wine for everybody. We are seeing a failed groom who failed his bride because he didn't produce enough wine for everybody. And how many know, because we are the bride of Christ and he is our groom. Yes, they're talking about wine, but he was thinking about that wine that he would hold up in an upper room one day with his disciples and say, this is my blood that is gonna be shed for you. And how many know his blood could not run out. His blood had to be enough to cover my sin, to cover your sin, to cover what you did last time you were at Gillick. Oh, come on. To cover every single one of our sins. When she said wine, it triggered him and he thought about his blood and says, hold up, it's John chapter two, it's not my time for my blood to be spilled yet. Conversations with Jesus were confusing. Can I go back to the boat? So when they say, we don't have enough bread, they were already messed up because they thought they had one loaf and they didn't. They had two because they were holding a loaf of bread and they were looking at a loaf of bread. And bread said, be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. Yeast, what is yeast? It's actually a fungus. And when you put yeast in the dough of bread, just a little bit of it will contaminate all of the bread. In the Bible, yeast is a metaphor for sin. It's a metaphor for unbelief. But it's also a metaphor for pride. Because it's the yeast that causes the bread to rise. It causes the bread to be puffed up and full of hot air. So Jesus is saying, be careful of the yeast. Be careful of the pride of the Pharisees and the pride of Herod. The pride of the Pharisees. The pride of the religious system. The pride of religion that thinks you can earn your way into God's favor, that you can earn your way into God's grace. That is pride because there's a part of you that says, if I just read enough scriptures, if I just come to church enough, then God has to do what I want him to do. And you can always tell if you're operating out of religion because whenever God doesn't perform the way you want him to perform, you are upset and you're mad and you start pulling out your record saying, God, look at how much I tithe. Look at how much I've come to social. Look at how much I've done. Not understanding that you cannot buy grace. You cannot earn grace. You just must receive grace. And it is not your record that gives you right standing with God. It is Jesus' perfect record who lived the life that we were supposed to live and died the death we were supposed to die. But it's pride that says, no, my works earns me favor with God. Oh, the yeast of Herod, the political system that thinks that Jesus came to establish a kingdom here on earth through politics. And even now, today, all you got to do is cut on your TV, pick your letters, see it in Fox, ABC, NBC, MSNBC, HIJK, Elemental P, and you can see this political climate and even some believers who have fallen deceptive 
to think that they can mix in the yeast of politics in the purity of who God was, thinking that God is a part of a political party when he actually said, I came to establish a kingdom. I came to establish a kingdom that is transcended. So don't try to put me on an elephant on a donkey. You better put me on a dove because my spirit is supposed to empower you. Yeah, you that's waiting for it to come from the White House is supposed to empower you as the church to bring change in the earth. Preach, Robert. Are y'all recording this? I'm going to watch it later. So it says, be careful of the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. And he still leaves them confused on the boat because they're like, see, he mad because we didn't bring enough bread. He's like, no, I'm not talking about that bread. I'm talking about me, the bread of life, the purity of who I am. Not that bread, this bread. Okay, but since you want to talk about that bread, physical bread, let's talk about that bread. Let's review, okay? We had the 5,000 and I broke seven loaves. How many, five loaves, how many leftovers did you have? Uh, 12. He said, okay. When we hit the 4,000 and I broke the seven loaves, how many leftovers did you have? They said, uh, seven leftovers. Okay, so that means the first time I did the miracle, we actually fed more people with less amount of bread and we had more leftovers. Do you see how the mathematics of the kingdom works? He fed more people the first time he did the miracle with less amount of bread and had more leftovers. Only God can do something like that. I love the mathematics of the kingdom. They don't make sense on earth. Can anybody testify? Can you look at your life as some blessing that makes absolutely no sense on paper, but because God is faithful, because God will take care of you, somehow, some way you're making it. I know what it's like to be faithful and giving and faithful and tithing and look at my bank statement and go, how in the world did that happen? Because God is faithful. How in the world did I get this house? Because God is faithful. How in the world did I get this spouse? Oh, it wasn't me. God is faithful. I'm so glad that when you trust God, he will do some things that on paper made no sense. He will give you a job that you don't got the degree, you don't got the background for, and they'll ask you, how did you get this position? It ain't me. It was just favor from God. I need somebody to take a 10-second praise break and just praise God like you know it was him that opened the door. It was him that made the way. It was him that did it. Woo! Don't start acting funny. Don't start acting bougie when God blesses you. You better keep leaving a footnote like your English teacher said, this was not me. This part right here <laughs> came from somebody greater than me. And all of a sudden, he's trying to get them to understand on this boat that as long as you have me, you got everything that you need. You tripping about that one loaf. Hello? <laughs> Look at this loaf. I think y'all gonna be okay. He's trying to get them to understand the power of his provision. Now, here's what messed me up and what really drew me to this text. I love this passage. I wish I had time to give it its due justice. What I love about this passage is actually what frustrated me when I first found out about this passage of scripture. Because I was raised in church. I was raised in church. How many of you raised in church? Can I see your hand? Oh Lord, that's all y'all. Okay. <laughs> this is Dallas, Texas. <laughs> raised in church. I was raised in church. I'm talking about I had to be in church all the time. Old school church too. I'm talking about Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night service. Missionettes, Royal Rangers, old school church. I'm talking about I am a C-H. I am a C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N. And I'm a, you know, whatever. I know it. I just got nervous because I was on stage. I was like, is this a spelling bee? How you spell? I raised in church. Veggie tales. Raised in church. Couldn't listen to secular music. Raised in church. I'm talking about couldn't celebrate Halloween. I don't know what to do with my kids today because I was raised different. You could not. That's, you could, if, if we had Hallelujah Night. <laughs> Y'all remember Hallelujah Night? <laughs> like you still got to dress up just like a Bible character. <laughs> I didn't care. You still got candy, but it was frustrating. Y'all don't know my struggle. You don't know my struggle. You know how embarrassing it is to walk up in a party city talking about y'all got that Ezekiel? You ain't got that Ezekiel. What about that Isaiah? <laughs> Church kid, okay? Raised in church and never, never in my Sunday school class, I don't remember, maybe I slept that day, I don't remember them telling me that the miracle where Jesus took the fish and the loaves and multiplied it, that that miracle happened not once, but twice. He did that miracle twice. Some of you are honest, you laughing and smiling, but you didn't know that that miracle 
happened twice. Do your due diligence in Mark chapter 6, Mark chapter 8. He first fed the 5,000 and then he turned around a few months later and he fed the 4,000. He did that miracle twice. And whenever I found that out, I shouted louder about him feeding the 4,000 than when he fed the 5,000. I'm thankful that he fed the 5,000, but it's something about him doing it again and feeding that 4,000 that really made me shout. It made me shout because it let me know that if God has ever healed you before once, that if God has ever done a miracle in your life once, that if God has ever made a way in your life once, how many are thankful he's got the power to do that thing again? I am so glad that miracles are not relegated to one time in the past. But if you've ever seen the miracle working power of God in your life once, you ought to get your expectation and your faith up to know that God has the power to do that thing again. Oh, the psalmist said if he did it before, he can do it again. Yeah. He did it. He did it twice. He did it twice. This miracle, hear me, is so powerful because besides the resurrection, it is the miracle that is in every single gospel. Every gospel writer, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, felt the need to let you know about the miracle where he took that fish and that bread and he multiplied. This miracle is in a category all by itself. You cannot compare this miracle to healing a blinded eye. You hear a blinded eye, the only person that's really going to shout is the man who was blind and maybe his wife that was with him said, now he can see how blessed he is, okay? You hear heal a lame leg, the only dude that's probably going to shout is the person that got his legs back and his family connected to him. But the miracle of feeding the multitude? Everybody experienced that miracle because the miracle was not to just one person. Every person had the miracle in their stomach as he began to multiply what wasn't enough. I love this miracle because this miracle lets me know that God does not just care about my soul. He also cares about my circumstance. He also cares about my need. And maybe you're here, you're watching online, and you need to know that today, that God is not just concerned with your soul. He also cares about your needs as well. He's not just concerned with your soul and you going to heaven. All that is great. But how many know he wants you to have life and life more abundantly here on earth too? He, he cares about stuff like groceries. He cares about stuff like you paying your bills. He also cares about you being a better, better steward of what he's already given you and already provided. Oh, I wish I had time. Someone's like, God, I really need a miracle. It's too much. He's like, no, you need a budget. <laughs> At your wage. Get out of debt. <laughs> What's something about the second service? I feel a whole lot more freer. God is not just concerned about your soul. He cares about your circumstance. This miracle proves that. Let me say it another way. If it matters to you, it matters to God. If it matters to you, it matters more to God because look at it. When he fed the 5,000, understand that they hadn't eaten for a day, an entire day, listening to Jesus preach. When he fed the 4,000, they hadn't eaten for three days listening to Jesus preach. Three days, no food. So you think you can preach? You think you can preach? Come on, when nobody eats for three days because the sermon is that good, you know you are the word made flesh. Some of y'all hungry right now. Talking about, is Chick-fil-A still closed on Sunday? I really... Three days, no food, listening to the words emanate from the mouth of the master. And please believe he was that good of an orator that he could have kept them there. But in the middle of the message, he pauses and realizes, I can't keep them here listening to this message because they are hungry. They need food. Something as simple as that. This is not only a message that lets us know God's concern. It's also a mandate to the church that we cannot just be concerned with the souls of people if we don't take care of the needs of other people. How many know the church ought to be the front line to actually be the hands and feet of Jesus and do something in the communities in which we live? And all four of these gospel writers come together to show us the power of what happened when Jesus fed the multitude, not once, but twice. Look at your neighbor said he did it twice. Real quick, I want to give you a few things and then I'll be out your way. Because I want to, if I can, put the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 next to each other. And I want us to pull some things, some similarities, if you will, out of these two massive miracles that every gospel writer 
wanted us to pay attention to. I think there's some principles that are pertinent, not just to the Capital C Church, but especially our church in this season that we're in right now. The first thing I noticed in both of these miracles is that you had a whole lot of people, a whole lot of people. When the Bible says there was 5,000 and then 4,000, that's not including the women and children. It is easy to say. It is a good 20,000, maybe 15,000. These are massive crowds of people who are hungry. The first thing I notice in this text is that we are called to problems because we're called to people. You're called to problems because you're called to people. Elbow the person next to you and say, neighbor, don't run from your call. Don't run from your call because you are called to problems because you're called to people. You cannot separate people from problems. They both go together. And many of us are running from the very thing that we have been called to because we're called to problems and we're called to people. Can you see the disciples looking at this massive amount of people and they getting hungry? I love it because it was their hunger that initiated. They're like, so you hungry? <laughs> yeah, I'm hungry. You know how he compassionate and stuff. Let's tell him that the people need to eat some food. <laughs> they're acting like they were so concerned. Let, let's tell Jesus that, that they need some food. Yeah. Jesus, man, great sermon. You're long-winded. But uh, they need some food. I love Jesus. You give them something to eat. You're called to problems because you're called to people. They were trying to put the responsibility on God, and God flipped it and said, it's on you. They were real good at diagnosing the hunger of the crowds, but did not want to do anything to help with the hunger. We want to diagnose the problem. This is what's wrong with the culture. This is what's wrong with society. Diagnose the problem without actually realizing you've been called to it. Matter of fact, let, let me help you. You are often anointed for what annoys you. Yeah. The, 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 thing, the thing that perturbs you, the, the reason you notice it is because God put something in you to be an answer to it. But it's easier to complain about it than it is to roll up your sleeves and say, God, how can I be an answer? Because I'm called to people, which means I am called to problems. Can you imagine what this church would look like if everybody said, whatever I can do to serve, I'll do it. Some of y'all, you can practice right after this service. If you care, pick up a chair. Can you imagine what this church would look like? But it's so much easier to complain about something that you were actually called to be an answer to. Jesus is showing us in both miracles that we are called to people because we're called to problems. You can't separate the two. And it is a trick of the enemy to get you to live in isolation and run away from your call and not be committed to community or to the church. And some of you, can I just talk like this is our home church because it is? It's real easy at Social Dallas to come in here and love the worship woo, and love the preaching, but say, oh, they got it. Oh, they good. I don't have to serve not realizing we need you. We need you with your gift, with your ability, with your talents, with your unique call. We need you. You're called to people, which means you're called to problems. If I had time, I'd talk about how the disciples were given the arduous task of having to put this group of 20,000 people in groups of 50 and 100. Can you imagine? Who wants that job? 20,000 people, and you got to put them in groups of 50. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. Is your hand up? You're messing up my count. One, two, three, four. Can you imagine how long that took? God said, we got to do that because it's not enough for me to do the miracle if there's no systems for the miracle. I need the structure for the miracle. I'm preaching like we're going to Toyota Music Factory. I need some people to understand this is a miracle that is happening in our church, and we need some people who say, if you need counters, I got you. I'll count. Second thing 
I noticed in the text is that it was compassion that activated the miracle. If you want to start seeing the miraculous, start getting compassionate. You want to start seeing the miraculous, start praying this dangerous prayer. God, break my heart for what breaks your heart. God, help me see what you see. We had one of the most powerful prayer meetings that we've had in our church on, on Tuesday night. And we prayed about a lot of things, but the thing that had me eating the floor in tears was praying for God to give me a burden for this city again. It's crazy because we've been plowing, we've been kicking ground and kicking concrete and social at home and doing whatever we can to make it happen. If you're not careful, sometimes the grind of it, the weariness of the fight, make you lose your burden for it. And I just feel like I got my burden back. Compassion is what activates the miraculous. In the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus looks at them. He says he saw the crowd. Not as something to post to say, ooh, we got big numbers today. No, he saw the crowd as sheep without a shepherd. In the feeding of the 4,000, he verbally says to his disciples, I have compassion on these people. He said, I can't send them away hungry. He says, because they'll faint along the way because some of them have come from afar off. Oh, I love that because that lets me know that in the multiplicity of all those people, Jesus knew where they came from. He knew their address. You want some blues clues of how you have compassion? Be concerned with where people came from. Take some time to sit and listen to somebody's story. Don't tell me you care about me when you won't even listen to where I've come from or hear my journey. He said, I can't send them back. They'll faint along the way. They've come from afar off. It is amazing how when you actually take the time to listen to where somebody has come from and sit in the seat they sit in, how it gives you so much perspective. You ever been there before? You ever been getting ready to go off on somebody that's going off on you? Don't go here, y'all super saved. You don't. You always pray for your enemies. Okay, pray for me. You, you ever had that, especially because I'm a pastor, because people think I'm a pastor, so I'm up there with the angels. But you ever had somebody just going off on you and you're like, all right, you need to bring that down a notch, okay? <laughs> I know some words that are not in the King James Bible. Now, you ever just had one of those moments? And don't you wish especially if you've messed up and gone off on somebody, don't you just wish in that moment that you could just get a flashback of where that person came from, what they went through, how they were raised, maybe even just what they went through that day. And all of a sudden your heart will shift and change because compassion activates the miraculous. God, make us a compassionate church that sees what you see. Because there are people who are hungry. The next thing that I notice about the text, and I'm, I'm done, is in both miracles, the disciples asked the wrong questions. They asked the wrong questions. I think it's reflective of the church today that's asking the wrong questions. In the feeding of the 5,000, they said, where can we get enough money to buy bread for all these people? It would take six months' wages. In, in the feeding of the 4,000, they go, where, where can we even get bread to this remote place? Wrong question. You know, they were stressed and worried by the magnitude of the crowd because they were asking the wrong questions. You know what I found out? Worry is often the byproduct of asking the wrong questions. Some of you are worried right now. You know why? Because you are asking the wrong questions about your circumstance. And whenever you start going down the trajectory of asking the wrong questions, you are always going to have worry. Some of you are asking the wrong questions. How am I going to pay the bill? What if there's another recession? What if I can't make it tomorrow? What if I can't get... Wrong questions will produce worry. Uh, give a scripture for it. I'll give you scripture. Matthew chapter 6. Look at Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus talking. He says, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? 
For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Do you see the connection between worry and the wrong questions? Some of you are worried because you've been asking the wrong questions instead of seeking first the kingdom of God. Ooh, what's the right question? Pastor Robert, I'm so glad you asked because Jesus asked it in both miracles. Jesus asked a critical question that I want to ask of you today. He asked it in both miracles. This is the most powerful question you can ask yourself whenever you see the magnitude of your call and you don't feel like you have enough resources. Ask this question. He asked this question in both miracles, in the midst of the crowd, in the midst of the disciples' doubts and worries. Here's the question he asked. He says, how many loaves do you have? How many loaves do you have? That's the reaction I expected to get because y'all just looked at me like, yeah, because nobody wants to ask that question of how many loaves do you have? It is easier to complain about the magnitude of the problem than to actually do the work and say, well, what do I have? It's easy to focus on what you don't have than to say, God, let me start seeing what you have given me. I like that question, how many loaves do you have? Because it shifts your focus from what you don't have to what you do have. It shifts your focus from the problem to gratitude. Can you see the disciples as soon as he said, how many loaves do you have? They had to get to work and start asking people, you got any loaves? You got any loaves? You got any loaves? You got any loaves? You got something? You got something? They had to get mobile and start doing something to see what they had. Can I speak to somebody? This is your season to get in action. Stop complaining about what you don't have and start looking for what you do have. How many loaves do you have? looking at what God has given somebody else and start searching for what God has given you. You got some loads. If you would take the time to find it. I'm going to get out your way. See, Ooh, let me make it plain. It's right here. I love this illustration. This is my loaves. You can't have my loaves. These are my loaves. You know where I got this from? My pantry. This morning. Thank God my kids hadn't eaten all of it. You might not like the brand. It's Honey Wheat, Nature's Own. Holla at your boy. You might not like it. You might not like it. Some of y'all, I'm gluten-free. Okay, go get your loaves. But I made sure that I brought this out of my pantry today. I didn't want anybody on the serve team to get me loaves. I wanted to bring what I had to show you a picture of the power of finding what God has given you. I'm telling you, there is a call that is on your life that is so much greater than you've ever realized, and you will not step into that call if you keep scrolling on social media to see what loaves somebody else got. God wants to know, have you taken the time to take inventory of your loaves? How many loaves? How many loans do you have? What has God given you? I want to break the spirit of insecurity and comparison off of your life today. God has given you something. God has called you for such a time as this. You have a purpose in the kingdom, but you won't find it until you ask yourself, how many loans? How many loans do you have? You got something God has given you. Look at Big Mouth Peter. Isn't it something that the only one that got the revelation of who Jesus was, was the only one that would use his mouth to speak up at the wrong time. What am I trying to tell you? God will even use your crazy idiosyncrasies. That thing you're embarrassed about, your quirks are actually your perks. He wants to use all that for his purpose and his kingdom if you're submitted to him. Stop being scared. The Lord will rebuke you just like he did with Peter. Get behind me, Satan. But <laughs> Some of you don't even realize the value of what he's given you. How many Some of you still don't like this illustration. You're like, well, it was technically loaves and fish. So where, where's the fish, Pastor Robert? Well, I ain't got no fish. We didn't have any fish in the pantry. And I don't need the fish. I don't need it because Jesus never asked for it. I'm about to sit down. Read it when you get to the crib. He never said, how many loaves and fish do you have? He said, how many loaves do you have? 
That means it was in the process of searching for the loaves that they realized, wait a minute, we got some fish too. It was in the process of looking for what they did have that they found stuff they didn't even know they had. It was in the process of thanking God for what they did have that God revealed some things they didn't even know that they had. Can anybody testify that if you will thank God for what you got, He will show you some things you didn't know you got. Oh, there's some strength you didn't know you had. There's some prayer you ain't know you got. There's some worship that you don't know you got. But you better look for the low. I gotta get out of here. The fish was extra. The fish were the fries, the extra fries in the bag. When you go to Chick-fil-A. I don't care what you tell me. Those are the best fries. Not the fries in the container. The fries that fall out the container because they were generous. You're talking about my pleasure? Prove it. Put some extra fries. fall in the bag because if you look for the lows God has a way of revealing what you didn't know you had I wonder if you're missing out on things you didn't even know you had because you won't even look for the lows you won't even thank God for what he has given you they found the lows the fish was extra I can feel their emotions I can feel it because when they found the fish they're like, oh my goodness. Fish is extra. I got fish. I got loaves. I think right when they got excited about the fish, then they look back out at the crowd. <laughs> and they look back in their hand. They realize, although we found the fish, there's still 20,000 people out here. And it's still not enough. Maybe I'm the only one, but have you ever looked at the magnitude of the crowd? or the magnitude of the demand on your life and then looked in your hands at how many fish and loaves that you had and gone, God, it's not enough. I don't have enough to be the husband he's calling me to be. I don't have enough to be the leader he's calling me to be. God, you got to help me. I don't have enough to be the business leader. They, they think I know what I'm doing, God, before I go on this presentation. You got to help me. Have you ever felt the way realizing that it's not enough in your hands and can I give you some encouraging news it will never be enough put that on a t-shirt I am not enough <laughs> hear me you will never have enough if it's going to stay in your hands if it's going to stay in your hands it will never be enough this is why the generous get more blessed and the stingy stay broke because if it stays in your hands it'll never be enough the miracle shows us that the power is taking what's not enough and put it in the hands of Jesus when you take it out of your hands and you quit trying to control it and you put it in his hands that's when the miracle can start and Jesus takes it models for us what you do with not enough. You thank God for it. He thanks God. He breaks it. Watch this. And gives it right back to them. See, we shout because we know how the story ends. But you got to read the text like you don't know how this is going to turn out. It didn't start multiplying when he gave it back to them. Because wouldn't that be awesome? When you give it to Jesus and he gives it right back to you immediately and pop, 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 it just starts exploding. Wouldn't that have been awesome? That's what we want, right? Anytime you take a step of faith, like, all right, God, I did it. It's been 24 hours. Now come on through. It didn't start. It was the same amount, but at least it was blessed now. I would rather have a little bit that's blessed than have a whole lot that does not have the blessing of God on it. I'm telling you, I've talked to folks that got a whole bunch, but they ain't got no blessing. They don't have any peace. They got a big house, but they can't sleep at night. They got a bunch of cars, but they have no purpose or destiny. I'm cool with a little bit as long as this blessing is on it. That means it didn't start multiplying until they started releasing it. Can you see them? 
I bet they were nervous at first. Take a little piece. And passing it. And passing it. And passing it. And every time they got down to the last little bit, they passed it and they reached back in and had more to pass. I'm trying to show you what trusting God looks like. This ain't something I know about. Uh, I'm, I'm just preaching about it. It's something I know about. In this season of life, I can't tell you how many times I've gotten up on Sunday and I said, God, I got nothing else to give. But as I poured out, he gave me more. I'm trying to tell you, if you need some encouragement, you better start giving encouragement out because as you pour out, God will make sure you got every single thing that you need. Don't stop. for the 5,000 they picked up the leftovers and I have grace for the disciples when they were nervous the first time he did it I have so much empathy I get it up until that point we didn't know Jesus knew how to multiply fish and bread but what I'm tripping about is that second time how were you so quick to forgive as soon as you saw the 4,000, you should have been like, oh, here we go. Oh, here we go. Come on, we did this before. Let's use the same system as last time. But why? Why are you tripping again? Well, the same way you're tripping. We're so quick to forget that the God that was faithful before will be faithful now. He's so faithful and so consistent you have taken it for granted. God told me to remind somebody today that if he did it before, he will do it again. Don't stop pouring out. Don't keep on neglecting the loaves he gave you. The miracle that you need and somebody else needs it's contingent upon you taking what you have and putting it in his hands. Would you stand to your feet and bow your head and close your eyes? Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you are the bread of life. You're every single thing that we need. Lord, I pray for my brother, I pray for my sister that so needed this word today because they've been so quick to forget. God, they're about to negate and give up what you have put in their hands. Some because they've been comparing it to somebody else. Lord, thank you for breaking into our lives and asking the powerful question, how many loaves do we have? God, I thank you that you would not have asked it if it wasn't available. God, open up our eyes to see what we do have and use our lives to feed, to bless, to encourage somebody else. We would like to thank you for being a part of our social global family. Please head to our website, socialdallas.online and see the many ways you can stay connected with us from around the world.